Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Take your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 1. I want you to go to Matthew's gospel. Of course, this being a a special Christmas service and opportunity for us to consider and to ponder. The title of today's sermon is, What Child Is This? Let me read our passage for us, starting in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. The Word of God reads this. It says, Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. His willing, whoop, went too far. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the morning and for the joy it is to be able to celebrate you. It never gets old to to look back at the incarnation, your coming. What's interesting to me as a pastor, just the, how people deal with you. Many like the, the season and what it brings, and yet many often miss the truth behind it. We thank you for the word of God and, and what it proclaims and what it says. For we can clearly grasp that first Christmas. Clearly understand why you gave your son. And clearly believe that he is the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior. Help us as we go through this text. Spirit, teach us, for we want to think rightly about you. We love you. Be with your servant. In Christ's name, amen. As we celebrate the Christ of Christmas... It's only appropriate that we go to a text. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to jump into this gospel. Go to a text that clearly points out the true meaning of Christmas. Now, by the way, it's throughout the Bible. When you think about the Old Testament and pointing to the Messiah and pointing to this child 
as we even read in Isaiah. I mean, it is smattered throughout the whole of scriptures. The fact of God wanted to make sure that we were clear on who the Messiah was, that we could clearly understand his purposes and why he came. And so our text in Matthew answers the the age-old question, who is this Christ child? And for many, this question still perplexes them. And it's not necessarily that it's a baby in a manger that scares them. Many people accept, especially at Christmas time, that a baby was born and given to the world. Seems innocent enough, non-threatening. But it is how this baby was born and who he is that causes people to do funny things with the truth. Some think that the first Christmas is just a special gooey story that is nice and all, but it has no meaning. For others, they dismiss the supernatural. They explain away all the, the, the supernatural events on that eventful day. They simply don't believe Jesus to be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. What gets a little bit more interesting is that when you think about the evangelical church throughout the world, with today's modern liberalism, they don't like the reality of what Christ has done. They deny the actual virgin birth of Jesus. They struggle with the many miracles that Jesus performed, and and though they accept Jesus as a good man or maybe even a prophet, They can't grasp or understand that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Thus, you have modern-day liberals who who choose what they want to believe and throw the rest of it out. And then you have the Jews. You have Israel as a nation, God's chosen nation, a nation that he protected, a, a nation that he called, a nation that he pronounced that he is going to be their God Many of them struggle with the events of that first Christmas. You and I both know that for Israel and for the world, they were promised a Messiah, a king. And they clearly understood that this king would be a descendant of the royal line of David. David, of course, being one of their their most favored king in their history, a man after God's own heart. They saw this promised Messiah to have a royal descent, but here's where they went wrong. They believed that the Messiah would be both born of man and of woman. This royal descent, much like their their favorite king, King David, who had an earthly father and an earthly mother. But then God steps in. Here's the joy of, of being a Christian and loving the scriptures and the God of the scriptures. God shows up and he just radically changes their understanding. He gets their theology back in line. And he does something radically different than what man is thinking. Yes, the Messiah, the anointed one, will come through King David's lineage, but he will also be divine, born of a virgin, and is truly God in the flesh. For Jesus to be divine, to have this Messiah, to be God in the flesh, the Jews rejected it and even thought there was no way that this is what God was going to do with the anointed one. However, God sending God as the Messiah perplexed them. 
and even many today, deny the lordship, the divinity of Jesus Christ. And yet, we go to a text of Gospels recount, do you think about any of the other Gospels, they all record the divine nature and the divine event of that first Christmas. We have in our, in our text in Matthew a clear, distinct proclamation of the exact nature and person of Jesus Christ, this Christ child. And as Matthew records verse after verse of all that Jesus had did and said and pointed to the clear reality that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One, even to the end, the Jews struggled with accepting and receiving Jesus as their Messiah, Jesus as God. Jesus, knowing this, addressed their hearts all the way in Matthew 22. We get this proclamation of Jesus to the Pharisees, trying to help them correct their understanding of this divine event this first Christmas. Look to the screen. It says this, starting in verse 42 of Matthew 22. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he, Jesus says. They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Jesus in his kindness clearing up the, the confusion that the Jews had literally shuts their mouths. They're perplexed. And yet, we know many of them still do not believe. We cannot doubt it. We cannot deny it. We cannot ignore it. Simply if we read the text of the scriptures. The incarnation of the Lord Jesus was, was fully human and yet fully divine. That is a fundamental truth in Christianity. Matter of fact, everything that that Christ child, his, his inception, his incarnation, in, in the sense of coming into this world, remember Jesus has always been eternal. But in his incarnation, in his coming, and then in his living, and then in his death and his resurrection and ascension, and even in his second coming, it's all a package deal for us to understand and to believe. It's so important for our faith to hold firm. Must you believe in the virgin birth? Absolutely. Must you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Must you believe in the ascension and must you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. These are, are so imperative to our faith and our understanding of all that God is doing when we look at the scriptures. And why is this so critical? Because the reality is, is that if you see Jesus, who had a human father, if you think he had a human father, that he was born of both man and woman, then the Bible is untrustworthy. Because why? The Bible claims that he did not have an earthly father. And if Jesus was simply born of human parents, there's no way to describe all the divine, supernatural things that he did. 
his virgin birth, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, his ascension and second coming are all a package deal, pointing to the reality that Jesus is God. You can't strip away any one of these and have a biblical understand, a biblical understanding of this Christ child. All of these were important to help you understand exactly God's plan and his purpose and what he's doing. In his birth, his divinity revealed. It is here in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 1, that I want to address the most significant truth that has ever happened, the greatest gift that is ever given, and that is God giving his son for the purpose of redeeming man. The Bible points to the first Christmas as God giving his most precious gift in the life of his son so that you and I may have a relationship with him. Don't miss the purpose of Christmas. This gift, of course, comes wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a major or stable, announced with a bright light in the sky. Why? So that no one would miss the importance of that event. I think most of you know that Christmas is, is much more than Christmas trees and a big fat guy in, in a red jumpsuit. Christmas is about the Christ child, a baby born in the most humbling means, but nevertheless a baby that was worshipped when it was born. And this baby would grow up and become a man who had a mission. And so with our time this morning, a little bit I have left, I, I want us to consider this mission and the importance of this child, to think and answer some questions surrounding this baby. For many of us here this morning, this, this, this Christmas story never gets old. We, we read it, we grasp it, we believe it, we trust it. And so for those of you who have received God's gift, received his son, Jesus Christ, through repenting of your sins and, and faith in Jesus Christ, you understand the power of believing and understanding this truth. And Christmas is a delight to you, a peace and a comfort. However, there, there might be some of you here this morning that, that maybe have marveled at this gift, yet, may I say it this way, you haven't unwrapped it. You haven't seen the purpose and the power of what Christ has done for you. And I pray that your ears are, are open. And that you can look into your scriptures, you can see very clearly what Christ has come and why he has come. That you would stop being on the sidelines of life and jump into the delight of the gift that God has given you through his son, Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want all of us to delight in the importance of, Christ, of this Christ child in Matthew's gospel. To answer some key questions considering this Christ child. Some particular questions like, why was he given? Or what was his purpose? And what makes him so special? And then finally, there is a response. God displays his glory and his kindness in the giving of his son, and he asks for a response, demands a response. So let's just tackle this a little bit. The first question that we need answered is, why was Christ given? What was his purpose? Why did he come and leave the throne room of heaven and come and dwell amongst men? Well, 
Look again at verse 21 with me. It's, it's very clear in the pages of scriptures. The answer is found there. It reads there again, she, speaking of Mary, will bear a son, and you shall, have, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Why should you call his name Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. There's the purpose of why Christ has come. The verse not only tells us that the God-given name for this Christ child but also his purpose. Notice that the baby is called Jesus. Great meaning. A lot of times we think about Jesus, we think of his first name, his last name's Christ. Listen, these are messianic titles, divine understanding of what God is doing here. Jesus is, is, is a form of the Hebrew of Yahshua or Joshua. It means, and get this, and this is so important, the name given to the Christ child is that, that Jesus or God will save. God will save and I think it's only appropriate to ask the question, God will save us from what? And again, verse 21 has the answer. Look at it again. It says that she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And here it is, for he will save his people from their sins. The purpose of the baby, the purpose of Christ's coming is to save people from their sins. This is why Jesus came in the world. Simplistic, but yet to the point. The Bible says he came to seek and save that which is lost. The scripture says that Jesus came into the world to save people from their sins. And to help us understand, we need to understand a, a biblical understanding of what does it mean to be a sinner. We need to understand this whole issue of sin. And, and, and this is something I think is missed often in our gospel presentation. It's one of these things where we got to understand that, yes, once you understand your state as being a sinner, you understand the need for a Savior. Sin in the Bible, harmatia in the Greek, it's a hunter's term. It's, it's very interesting to me. In particular, it means missing the mark of God's holiness. Every time a person sins, they miss the righteous and holy nature of God's righteousness. It means that the only way to have a perfect relationship, by the way, God being perfect in himself, demands that all of his people to have a right relationship with him, that they must too be perfect. To be in his presence must mean that, that you have to be holy as he is holy. Yet sin, sin tells us that we fall short and don't even come close in our effort to achieve the type of righteousness that God requires. You understand, beloved, that God never intended you to earn your way to heaven. He's not putting that onus on you. Why? Because he knows that we all fail. The Bible is so clear that we all, what, fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of this, this, this means of standing before a holy and righteous God. Every time we try to achieve God's holiness, we fall short. So God never intended by our means to ever achieve the righteousness standard on our own. And that's the beauty of it. This is why he sent Christ. If you think about it, in our helpless I love Romans 5.8. It's on the plaster on the back of, uh, of the wall behind me. But yet, why we are still yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. In our most helpless state, God says, I'm going to send and give you a gift. 
I'm going to send you the Christ child, the incarnate one, the divine one, who is going to go to the cross to save you and redeem you. What's interesting to me is as you talk to other people around you, and especially during this time, everybody is very festive, and everybody thinks that everybody's naturally good. Most people think that they are a good person. Sure, they may, might mess up just a little bit, but, but overall, when it comes to death and standing before God, surely God will show grace and let them in because surely their goodness has outweighed their, their sinfulness. Most people think that their amount of goodness will get them to heaven. And God's word says, it's not amount of goodness. You must be perfect to enter into heaven. And so, in light of that, if you're one of those people who look at your neighbors, who look at yourself and say, you know, we're rally, I'm, I'm actually pretty good. Let me test that thought just a second here. Let me ask you, how good is your good? Is it enough to gain heaven and have a right relationship with God? For the Bible is clear that, uh, <clears throat> the Bible is very clear on who God is, and he's just holy. He expects a standard of perfectness. He has a measure of goodness and holiness that we must all achieve if we think we can earn it ourselves. But let's test it, right? Let's just test 10 commandments, 10 of them. Let's see how well you have done even this past week, let alone your whole life. The first question I want to ask you is, have you ever stole anything? Now, I know as kids, when we ask, our parents ask us that, we have an excuse, we blame our brother or sister, we, we don't want to identify with that. But have you ever stole? You have, Tatum. Yep. You need to repent right now. Okay. <laughs> but isn't that truthful? Yes, we can all raise our hands. remember the first time I stole something. I was in Albertson's store up in Boise. And, and my thought at the time was that, listen, they have lots of food here. Surely they're not going to miss one stick of licorice. And so I remember grabbing it and eating it. My mom, horrified, knowing that she didn't put it in the basket. And here I am eating the evidence. I thought this was all good and, and, and healthy until she marched me over to the store manager and says, confess what you've done. And then she asked me, how are you going to pay for it? I said, listen, Mom, they have too much here. They have many pieces of licorice. Why can't I just have one? Listen to what God's word says in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 15. It clearly says, for you to be holy, for you to be righteous, for you to be perfect, and standing in the presence of God himself, you shall not Still. The Bible calls this sin and indicts my heart or anybody who steals anything a thief. Here's another question Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Have you loosely used in your conversations with others the name of God in a flippant way? If so, 
you have broken one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Again, one time you miss the mark of God's perfect holiness. Let's take one more. Jesus in the New Testament says that if anybody hates someone in their heart, they have committed murder. Can I ask you this question? Have you ever hated anybody? Have you ever defiled the enemy that's been pressed against you in such a way that your inward thoughts were, I would see them better off not alive? Hate. If you have committed hate in which Jesus defines as murder in your heart, you have broken the sixth commandment which says in Exodus 20 verse 13, you shall not murder. Again, if you have hate in your heart, you have sinned and you miss the perfect standard. I mean, I can go on and on and we can all sit there and say, well, boy, walk out of here with our tails between our legs thinking, where is our hope? God has a righteous and holy standard that, that we can't keep is his point. That's the reason why the law was given, to, to point to the reality that, that we are in trouble, that we are a mess. And here's the real indictment of all this. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law, in other words, you can be perfect 99.9% .9 of the time, and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of it all. One sin condemns you. What is God going to do with a person who has broken his law? Well, the Bible is very clear. In Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There is no wiggle room or debate when it, when it comes time when you die and you stand in, in front of the judgment of God. He's not going to look at you and say, look at all your good deeds. Look at my all good deeds. And he's going to look at the reality that you've sinned. And maybe not just once. I'm pretty sure all of us have sinned multiple times. And the just God is going to look at you. And because he is just and righteous, he is able to condemn you and give you what you justly deserve because of your sin. There's nothing you or I can do. There's not enough good things that you or I can do. By the way, where is the standard of goodness that, that you think you can achieve a right standing with God? God's truth and God's law has pointed out our sin and the reality of what the scripture tells us is that we deserve death. All of that kind of puts us in a place. It all puts us in a place where we are in desperate need of somebody to save us. And here's the point of all that. Remember the Christ child? Remember why he was given? Remember what Matthew has told us in verse 21 is that he has come into the world to save people from their sins? Do you see the connection? Jesus has come, has been given 
to save people from their sins. How did he do this? And this is what's so remarkable. And this is why you can't just rip Christmas away from Easter and the second coming and everything that, that is the scriptures display about Christ. How did he do this? By giving his perfect life for your sinful life? That's a simple point. He gave his perfect life. Scripture tells us that Jesus fulfilled all the law. All those Ten Commandments, he never broke. Any righteous standard that God put before him, he fulfilled. By giving his perfect life for your sinful life, Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he never sinned. And this is why the scriptures can say that he's the only one that can save you. And here's the joy of this. Understanding the fact that you are a sinner and need repentance. Understanding that you have been giving the gift of Jesus Christ to believe in. This is how a person can have a right relationship with a holy God. In your repentance and in your faith in Christ, Jesus exchanges the act of taking your penalty for your sins and in turn, because he never sinned, he gives you his righteousness to you and yet pays the penalty for your sins on the cross. Because Jesus was crucified and died on that cross, he takes the eternal death, the eternal judgment of your sins and pays the price with his blood. You talk about a sacrifice, a divine sacrifice to save people. This is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. If you would only turn and repent of your sins and receive him in faith as your Lord and Savior, you too can be saved. The Bible is clear. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. Did you hear that? Not even yourself. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I mean, Jesus took it upon himself the penalty for all your sins. Do you hear that? All your sin. His grace, his mercy, his forgiveness is greater than any sin that you have ever committed or will commit. And he atoned for them. And God is well pleased to sacrifice his son on the cross for your sake, for my sake. But there's more. Jesus went to the cross to be your savior, to die for your sins, but his resurrection, his rising out of the grave displays his deity, his divine nature, and his ability to conquer sin and death. You understand that Jesus is a living Savior, a living Lord. He's not dead. He is life. And as a Christian, we experience that every day. We wake up each morning with his mercies anew and afresh, knowing that he's on his throne and that he's alive and that he has redeemed you and saved you. I mean, this is what you have to consider this Christmas. Do you see the importance of his coming? But there's more. There's more, and if I can quickly go through this. Christ is not only Savior, but he is also Lord. You understand that? 
Jesus wants to sit on the throne room of your life, and he wants to help you live a God-filled, Christ-like life. He wants to be your king. By the way, he's already king. He's established that. But for you, he wants you to obey his truth and follow him with delight and great joy. And so our passage goes on, and, and back to Matthew, you, you can see these titles given to the Christ child. Who is this child? Well, there's four that I want to point out. Four titles in the birth account of Jesus Christ that points to the reality that he is the Messiah, that he is God. The first title was already given in verse 21 that we looked at, saying that his name is Jesus, clearly pointing to the reality that God will save his very name points to that purpose, this title, this messianic title that he is going to save. Paul says this about Jesus in Ephesians 1 verse 7. says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses and according to his riches of his grace. The second title of this child comes in verse 23 in our passage. Look at it. It says, behold... The virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And I love the scriptures to think that, okay, that's just a, a neat name for a, a godly young man, Emmanuel. But there's a reason and purpose behind it. What's translated means God with us. It means that God is with us. God lives with us. It means that God became a man, that God will present God to the people. And so the child of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. By the way, names are so important in the, in the pages of scriptures. I think there's reason, and you ask your own parents about what's the purpose of names, and, and, and they have a, a meaning. Maybe you're named after somebody special in their life and their family lineage or whatever the case may be. But names and scriptures speak about the character of the one who's being named. And so for Christ to be called Emmanuel means that he literally is God with us, that he's in our presence. And what's special about this is when you think about all that Christ has done, we've seen this in the exposition of the Gospel of Mark, how much Jesus has been compassionate, how much Jesus has been a shepherd caring for those around them. And because Christ dwells amongst men, living amongst his creation, get this, he knows everything that is going on in your life. He knows your hurts. He knows your weaknesses. He is not only the Christ of salvation, but he is the great shepherd that comforts his sheep. And believing in Christ as your Lord means that you can find him to be trustworthy and caring and compassionate. So much so that Peter says that we can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Quick fashion, third title given to Jesus is found when the wise men, starting in chapter 2, verse 2, 
they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and come to worship him. The wise men pointing to the reality that he was king. They gave him this, 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 this royal title. And we know Christ to be king. We know Christ in his second coming to be, be the, the eternal ruler of the whole eternity. He came not only to save his people from their sins, he came not only to dwell and comfort and shepherd his people, but he came into this world to be king. Listen, Christ will rule. And when you think about his first coming, he comes as a humble servant, but when he comes the second time, he comes as a divine, royal, eternal king that reigns forever. It tells us in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. This is the reality of this Christ child. This child of Christmas, this Savior, is God who lives with us and is king. And the final title I want you to look at just is there in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 2. It reads, They are gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired them where the Messiah was to be born. The term Messiah means the anointed one, the one who all the prophets pointed to as the one that God would send. They understood the Messiah to be the eternal one. All this fulfilled in Christ. Titles that have meaning, that mark him. So Jesus Christ is Savior. He is God who dwells among us. He is King. He is the great shepherd and he is the Messiah. There's no one else that God is going to send to save you. You understand that, beloved? There's not another religion that you can cock. You, you cannot follow something else outside of what God has de delivered to you. And the question is, how are you going to respond to him? How are you going to take what has been given to you and say, yes, Lord, I see what you're doing. And I want to receive that truth. Well, simply, knowing the fact that you are a sinner and needing Christ, you need to repent of your sin. Yes, identify with your sin, but also understand that there's a Savior who has been given to you, who is Christ who has been born, Christ who lives, and Christ who is Savior, Lord and King. And you turn your heart and faith into him. It's as simply as repenting and believing. Will you submit your life to Christ? realizing that you're a sinner and needing a Savior and a King. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for the morning and for the joy it has been for us. Thank you for allowing us to gather with friends and family here to be able to consider in what we have sung and even what has been preached. When we look at the Christ of Christmas, when we gather around with family on that day, May we all rejoice in knowing that you have sent a Savior who is Christ the King.
Father, I pray for those who know you. Father, may they just delight in the, the truth that they've already received. May they highlight and rejoice and be grateful for all that you're doing in their life. And may they continue to walk in such a way that they have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that they would live for you. For those who are on the outside, Father, for those who are still pondering the cross child, who have not repented of their sins and turned in faith to you, I pray, Lord, that they have ears to hear and a heart to receive. This is a divine gift to them. For that matter, it's a divine gift to the whole world. This is the Redeemer. This is the Savior. This is the means in which you will now receive and accept those who are unholy to be holy because they are in your Son, Jesus Christ. May they in turn repent and see your truth and receive your grace and forgiveness and mercy. May they in turn in faith trust you with their lives. We pray these things knowing that you deserve all the glory. We marvel at your goodness and kindness and provision for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.